Uh, Mark chapter 2, we're in the middle of the chapter. We're going to start with verse 18 this morning. Well, let us give our attention uh, to God's word that said it's like gold and like honey, uh, sweet and precious. Uh, Look there at uh, Mark 2, verse 18. Now, John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And people came and said to him, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them. Then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old and a worse tear is made. No one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so, the wi- and so are the skins. But new wine is for new wineskins. Well, that completes our reading of God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, we pray as we look at it that you would give us all soft hearts, Lord, that you would um, enable me by your Holy Spirit to preach boldly with courage what you have said in your word, and that you would give all of them soft hearts to receive it um, by faith. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Well, I don't know if you're familiar with the movie Lord of the Rings. There's a very important ring in that movie. So my question to you this morning is, are all rings like that ring? Of course, the answer is no. And uh, so I want kids, I want you to imagine. Or you're on the beach with your family and you're walking along and all of a sudden you, something catches your eye as the sun reflects off of it and it's a ring down in the sand and you pick it up and for all you guys, you slide it on your finger and as soon as you do, this beautiful girl walks up and grabs your arm and says, hi, honey, I'm your wife. That'd be kind of weird, wouldn't it? Or for the girls, that a, a, a handsome man comes up and grabs your arm and says, hi, I'm your husband. That's ridiculous, isn't it? Because rings don't have power to them. It's just a symbol, right? It's just a, it's, it, it, it has meaning because I love my wife and we both wear these rings, right? But the ring itself is not like Lord of the Rings. You follow that, right? It doesn't have any magical powers. What about spiritual things? What about the, the Christian practices? Fasting and prayer and, and Lord's Supper and tithing? Does it have magical powers that if you just, you just show up, as soon as you stick it on your hand, voila, here's your spouse, no, it's not actually like that. What we're looking at this morning is that empty, empty rituals or empty religious rituals are absurd. Jesus is going to define that. And so it's not just preachers that give illustrations. Jesus here gives us three illustrations to explain his point. On page seven, you see the outline. Why are empty rituals absurd? Religious practices point to a truth. Religious practices are for a purpose. And religious practices can be misused. So look at that first one. Why, why are empty rituals absurd? Religious practices point to a truth. Look at verse 18 again. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. People came and said to him, being Jesus, why are John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? So it's, it's a logical question, isn't it? Okay, your allies and your enemies are doing the exact same thing. So that's basically everybody. Why are you doing this? It seems to make sense. And if you think that, if they are thinking that Jesus is like a prophet, John the Baptist, the last prophet, 
well, then that would make sense. Or he's a religious leader like the Pharisees. It makes sense, but he's not, right? There is no equivalent to Christ. He's the long-awaited Messiah. The whole Old Testament look forward to Christ. And so he comes and everything's new. And so Jesus gives three absurd illustrations that were in that day. Everyone would just laugh at him and be like, of course not. Yeah, of course, no one would do any of these. So we're going to look at those, unpack each one in each one of our points. And um, so look there at 19 and 20. Look at the first one. So the first one says, and Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? Okay, so this is older language, kids, bridegroom. It's just an old term for groom. Groom is the guy getting married. Okay, so at the wedding, you have the guy getting married. So it says, can wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? So a little translation note, we read the ESV. It's, it's both um, true to the text as well as readable. A translation that's a little bit less readable, but is, is very exact, is New American Standard. If you're familiar with it, it's pretty word, um, it, it does word by word, right? And so it's a, a great translation, but it's kind of clunky at times. It translates this, attendance to the bridegroom, uh, which is probably a, a pretty safe thing, but kids, you don't know what that means. So at the wedding, you have the groom. Remember all the guys that stand beside him? Those are called groomsmen. Old language would be attendance to the bridegroom, okay? So all the groomsmen, he's saying when they're all together, would they be fasting? If you've been to a wedding, what happens after the wedding? The big wedding reception. Usually there's good food and a big cake, right? You remember that? And so there, wouldn't it be weird to have all the groomsmen fasting? Be like, what in the world's going on? Why are they fasting? Fasting is the thing that is out of place in this setting. Does that make sense? That's what Jesus' point is. He's saying, that's crazy. No one does that. The Old Testament and the New Testament looks and, and uses this illustration, both for God and of Jesus, of being a groom. That we are the bride, the people of God are the bride, and he's the groom. And so Jesus uses this to show the absurdity of, hey, look, I'm the groom here. And so my guys, the disciples, they aren't going to be fasting. I will be taken away and then they will fast. But this, it doesn't make sense. Now, why was John's disciples fasting? Well, several possibilities. One is, is that um, his baptism was a baptism of repentance. Well, fasting often goes with repentance. That makes sense. Um, or if he's already been arrested, well, then they might be fasting because they want to see him released. Both possibilities. Now, the Pharisees, on the other hand, they get a whole different thing going. So the Old Testament, at most, commands one fast a year, the Old Testament Jews. Now, Pharisees, they always want to make things better. So they're fasting, some of them, twice a week. And, but it's become an empty ritual for them. It's just, it's something to do so they, they can be great religious people, right? And so Jesus is saying, but look, I'm the bridegroom. This is not, this is not the right time for that. Um, Jesus will not let anyone um, mistake his identity, saying you must address that. Think about when you pray. Because right now we're saying that um, religious practices point to a truth, right? The truth that Jesus was making was, I'm the bridegroom, so therefore fasting doesn't make sense, right? What about when you pray? What truth are you espousing? Well, that someone's listening. I don't know if you've ever been on the phone before, and you're giving a long speech, and you get to the end of it, and nothing, and they don't say anything. You're like, hello? Hello? You look, and it's, it's got, just, the call got dropped several minutes ago. Have you had that happen? I've had that happen, right? And so you call them back. You're like, what was the last thing you heard? Um, back when you started. So you start, right? And so there, it doesn't, and the little kids, kids, do you remember doing this? Like with a play phone? 
You'd, you'd play on it and you'd pretend to talk to your grandparents. Hi, Grandma, and you walk around talking. There's no truth behind that. Grandma was not on the other end, right? It's just pretend. So prayer, if it, it points to a truth, right? We should be pitied if, if there's nothing on the other side, if we're just praying into, into um, the ether, right? So that you see a connection. It points to a truth. Religious practices have to be connected to truth or they're absurd. Can religious practices be make-believe? Absolutely. That's what every other religion's doing, aren't they? In the Old Testament, there's this story. Speaking of absurdity, God is like making fun of idol worship. He says, you guys are crazy. You take a tree, you chop it down, you cut up half of it, and you burn, you burn it to cook your food. The other half, you carve, and you bow down to the thing and worship it. That's crazy. It's the same piece. You could have reversed it and taken the wood that you burned and made that the idol. Right? It's just a piece of wood. He's making fun of the idol worship is ridiculous. It's absurd. And that's what every other religion has to do. But should we be doing that? Of course not. You see, even though we have, there is truth behind it. If we are not holding on to that truth, then there's this disconnect, right? There's a disconnect between what's happening. It becomes an empty ritual. It did for the Pharisees. It did for many of the people at the time when Jesus came. Think about communion. We can't disconnect the sign from the thing signified. The sign from the thing signified. This is really important in communion. We're going to talk about it again in the third point. So hold on to that. We'll come back to it. But in communion, it points to the truth of your salvation. If it wasn't true, it's an empty ritual. And that's absurd. So that's why we do. We talk about it. Reminding, remember, this represents his body. This represents his blood, right? And so, we're, so we have some cognitive connection between what's happening and then what it represents. Okay, so not only does it point to a truth, but it also has a purpose. And that's our second point. Religious practices are for a purpose. Look at verse 21. Okay, so now he's going to talk about sewing patches. No one sews a piece, a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. Now, most of you kids cannot relate with any of this at all. You actually pay extra, so they put holes in your clothes, and you don't let your parents sew any patches in them. But imagine a time when, when holes were bad, and you're going to sew a patch on them, right? And, and you know, like t-shirts, pre-shrunk t-shirts, if it's not pre-shrunk, what happens? It shrinks after you wash it the first time, right? And so if you took a piece of that fabric that's unshrunk and you were to put it on those precious jeans that you have big holes in and you were to sew it and you throw it through the wash, what's going to happen? Well, that big piece shrinks to a small piece. It rips and you got a bigger hole than you started with. Okay, so what's Jesus saying here, right? People probably laughed when he said this because that's a really silly idea. He's saying that's just as silly as taking something old, you hear your, all your Old Testament practices, and trying to put it on something new. I'm here, he said. My kingdom's come. Right? And, but people didn't get it. They were still trying, why aren't you fasting like everyone else is? Do you see that? And so they have a purpose. There's a purpose. All right, now, if you're married, I have a question for you. And particularly you ladies, okay? You're married. If your spouse on Valentine's Day, brings you a box of chocolates and say, hey, here, they had this on the work table at work and the janitor said he was going to throw them away. And uh, so, hey, here you go. How would you feel? It's a gift and they're yummy chocolates. Of course, you'd be upset, right? Because there's nothing behind it. It was empty. 
Of course, okay, how about Christmas? So you get for Christmas, you open up and you're, you recognize it as the gift from the company White Elephant Party. And you're like, really? Thanks, honey. Right, so what matters is there's a purpose for these things. And if there isn't anything behind it, it doesn't mean anything to the person receiving it, right? All of you would be very upset at your spouse if, you, if either of those situations happen. How do you think God feels? How do you think God feels when people bring him empty worship? He knows our hearts. I mean, you, know, you, you kind of know your spouse's hearts. He completely knows our hearts. He sees everything that no one else does. There's this, a similar thing in Malachi. He says this, a son honors his father. This is God speaking. A son honors his father. If then, he's saying, I am a father, where is my honor? Says the Lord of hosts. O priest who despise my name. But you say, how do we despise your name? When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, God says, is this not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor? says the Lord of hosts. See, in the Old Testament, they do animal sacrifices. And so they, looking forward to Christ, the Lamb of God, who would be the one-time sacrifice, they would take a lamb that had no spot, that had no sin of its own, and the person would literally place their hands on the animal. And it was symbolic of my sins are being placed on this animal. And they would kill that little animal. And they would understand how bloody sin was. And they would do that for year after year after year, all the way up till Christ and it pointed to Christ who would die, who was the spotless lamb on the cross, right? But then, you know, what people would start doing was, like, what does it matter? They're just going to kill this animal. I'll bring my blind, my, blind, my blind little lamb, right? Or the lame one. Right? I'll save the good ones for me. You see? That's what they were doing. And God's saying, serious? Say, you do that to your governor and see how he responds. See, God was making that connection. They did this. This is not a new practice that people give lame worship, right? It's always been a thing where it's fake, it's empty, he was calling them out. And so Jesus is trying to connect these dots. These things have purpose, people, he's saying. I love this, Psalm 51. It says, for you, so this is David right after Bathsheba, if you know that story. He's, he's been convicted of sin. He comes in repentance before God. He says, for you, this is Psalm 51, 16, 17. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would have given it. You will not be pleased with burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are what? A broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, oh God, you will not despise. God wants your heart, people. God wants your heart. Now, this isn't a speech on or a sermon on marriage, but your spouse wants your heart. More than they want chocolates or Christmas gifts, they want your heart. Religious practices are for a purpose. Religious practices are for a purpose. So you say to God, well, God, here's $20. I'll put in the offering plate. person beside me put a check in. I'd feel uncomfortable not putting anything in. And so there you go. A worse tear is made. Untrunk cloth put on a cloth, right? There's, there's purpose in this, in tithing and offering. And so some people do it out of, they don't want to look bad. And so they find, they quickly scurry and find something to put in there. And that's not the purpose. So what is the purpose? What is the purpose of tithing and offering? Luke 21, Jesus tells this story. Jesus looked up and saw a rich man putting their gifts into the offering box and saw a poor widow put two small copper coins. And he said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. 
For they contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put all she had to live on. You see, Jesus is getting at the heart. He says the, the thing of offering, it starts with the heart. It's a gift, just like the gifts that you give your spouse. Can we put chocolates that were left over on the work table and give it to the Lord? Can we give the white elephant gifts? Yeah, absolutely. God knows our hearts, right? He wants a cheerful giver. Giving sacrificially to God of our time, talents, and treasure. You're going to give of your time and your talents, right? You guys are going to work hard, painting and doing all kinds of stuff, right? That, and it's good. God delights. And then you'll be tempted to, to complain and get frustrated because it's hard work, right? So God knows your heart. Just do it with a, a cheerful heart, right? So all of us, as we collect tithes and offerings, it should be a cheerful gift. You know, we call it tithes and offerings, why do we do that? Deuteronomy 14.22 says, You shall tithe all of your yield of your seed that comes from the field year by year. So tithe just means tenth. So he said, set aside a tenth of your field. And so that's, your, that's what tithe means. In the Old Testament, that was just part of it though. You did all these other things. You had sacrifices and other offerings. If you added it all up, it was a lot. It was a much larger percent than 10%. Maybe 20, it's, it's a lot. In the New Testament, do we have lots of commands like that? You need to do this at this season. Here's your spring offering, your fall offering. No. Here's what we have in the New Testament. 2 Corinthians 9, 6-7. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So when we say tithes and offerings, offerings is often above a tithe, but it's that the goal is, is it'd be a cheerful gift, right? It's not an obligation. It's not to the person beside you sees, right? It's that that's part of our worship. It's an act of worship. So we do it in the worship service. There's nothing wrong. Many churches have boxes in the back. We do it in the worship service. We don't do it after. So it's not that, that a reflection, like a um, offering of how well I preached. That's one of the reasons we do it at the beginning, Right? Many churches do it at the end, so if you, I really give a great sermon, like, well, that was good, here's an extra gift, right? It's not, it's an act of worship, just like when you pray and everything else, right? You're giving back to God. God's given to us abundantly, and so we give back to him. It has a purpose. It has a purpose. Because in the end, God wants your heart. Now, what about prayer? How many times do we pray in this service? Are they all the same? Do they have the same meaning? Here, flip back to page three. We started with a call to worship. What in the world's that? And I prayed after it. When I'm praying, the call to worship is God calling us to worship. I called you. He's called us all through scripture every Sunday. And so here, I, I have called you, right? But then we pray. What are we praying about? We're, we're, we're inviting God, saying, please come here. We're worshiping you, but help us, right? We want your help. We have a desire to worship, but it's a half desire, right? So then later, what about a prayer of confession of sins? Well, we're confessing our sins. That's very, very different than the first one, right? And then later, we have a much longer prayer, and that's asking stuff of God. Do you see how each of these is different? So our religious practices have purpose. If you don't understand them, you're a hard time sitting in the pew following along, right? That we are doing this together. And then at the end, that's not even a prayer at all. It's a benediction. That's a blessing from God for all of us. And so understand. That's why there's that right column. So you have some clue. What in the world are we doing? It really matters. 
It matters to God. They didn't get this, did they? He says, look, this is as silly as unshrunk cloth. He said, you think about what you're doing. Now, what was, the, what was the topic at hand in this? What spiritual practice was going on? I heard it quietly, fasting. Yes, fasting was issue. And he was saying why his followers were not fasting. Are you a follower of Jesus? Nod your head, yes. So should, you be, should Christians be fasting? They, he just said why they weren't fasting. Look back at verse 20, there's the answer. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. Okay, is the bridegroom still here? No. And so this is the time for fasting. When he was here, celebration, he went away. We're waiting on his return. And so now is the season, church history, for fasting. Do you know our church fast? We do it once a year. We do a day of prayer and fasting early in the year, asking the Lord's blessing for our community, for the other churches, for our church, for the salvation of the lost. We do that. We set aside food for one day, and it has meaning. We don't do it twice a week. We do it once a year. Right? And as a church, we're, we're crying out to God and saying, God, we are not eating today and, and setting ourselves to pray before you. It's still, it's very biblical for Christians to fast, but it has a purpose, right? But it's something about us. We easily forget the purpose of things. And so that's why one of our jobs is to often remind, what is it? So <clears throat> things have a purpose, but what if that's ignored? That brings us to our third point. Why are empty rituals absurd? Religious practices can be misused. Really? You can misuse these things? Absolutely. Look at verse 22. Okay, so our third illustration. First one, about a bridegroom. Second, about sewing up your jeans. Third one, no one puts new wine into old wineskins. I know all of you have wineskins at home, so this is, definitely makes sense to you. If he does, the wine will burst the skins and the wine is destroyed and so are the skins, but new wine is for new wineskins. Makes perfect sense, right? Okay, so none of you have wineskins. Here's what they would do. You know leather? Because you know leather, when it's, when it's new leather, it's real flexible and kind of, it has a little bit of stretch to it. <clears throat> well, old leather, what's it like? It gets kind of brittle, right? So imagine kind of a leather bag. Don't worry, I won't get into the details, but a leather bag, they pour wine and wine as it ferments expands. And so you imagine new leather would expand, it'd stretch. But old leather, an old wineskin would actually just break. Okay, so that's, that's what he's meaning. For all of them, they chuckled and said, yeah, that's ridiculous. Right? Of course, no one would ever do that. That's the dumbest thing, right? And that's, he's making that connection with each one. Okay, so modern day, kids, all right, you get to raise your hands. Kids, who would be interested in me giving you a new iPhone? Raise your hand if you want me to give you an iPhone. All right, one, two, three, I can't afford all this. I don't have the money. Oh, there's a caveat, kids, put down your hands. Kids, um, the new iPhone I'm giving you, I'm going to take your parents' old iPhone 5, and I'm going to stick a new battery in it, and put a new case on it, and a new screen protector. Is that a new phone? Nope, all the kids are nodding no. They aren't so interested. Why? Right, that's ridiculous, right? So uh, we, you don't have wineskins with your iPhones, right? To, you can't just like slap something new and something old and then make it new. That was Jesus' point, right? They were trying to just slap all these practices and say, hey, why don't you do it the way we've always done it? And Jesus said, because I'm not your always done it. I'm someone new. I'm the Messiah. And so our practices have meaning. Our practices have meaning. 
So you remember I said we come back? Oh, this morning, we didn't do a confession of sin. You might have wondered why. Here's one reason. Not only to keep you on your toes, to make sure you're paying attention, but we don't want you to get to be in such a rut that we always do the same thing that you feel like, well, I need to go to church so I can go to, to our version of confession, right? That's not what it is, right? And we talked about this last week. You need to do it during the week, right? I, we are not your, your mediator. Jesus is. This is one of the mistakes of Catholic confession, right? So we don't want to make that error. And so this week we did something different. Or you don't need to every Sunday and every service do that. You can do that on your own every day. And so that's one reason. See, the problem is, is we forget the purpose of things. And so sometimes variety helps us with that. Remember I said that we talked about communion again. Remember the, the warning I read every time? It's from 1 Corinthians 11. There's a warning that says, if you do it without connecting the meaning and you're doing it with wrong hearts, especially if you're not even a Christian, then you're actually drinking and eating judgment on yourself. You see, it had a purpose. And when you disconnect it, it's, it's not only absurd, it's actually dangerous, right? You can actually get judgment on yourself. You take something good and it becomes a curse. It can be misused. When I was, uh, lived in Blacksburg near Virginia Tech, we went to a church and a bunch of international students came to that church. And uh, a bunch of them, you know, we, they would pass the communion through the rows. And so, of course, the, um, the members were taken, so all of them take it. And so afterwards, I go and I, I explain carefully to them. So here's what communion means. It's really only for Christians because it's like your connection, like you're married to Jesus. You explain it. I did a great job. So either I did a terrible job. But anyway, next week, they still took it, right? They're like, oh, yes, 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 yes. And they take it, right? They, they, were, they didn't understand what was going on. It had a purpose. But see, it's not just international students that have that problem. People in churches do. We just go through the motions. We do the same thing every week. And it has no meaning. It can be misused. And that's a big problem. You see, in the time of the Reformation, did you know we do communion only once a month? Do you know one of the reasons why? Because we don't want you to think that it's like your oxygen mask. This was a problem in the Reformation. The Catholic Church, it become as if you needed this to survive. And it, it had even superseded the word of God. The thing you need every week, every single week you come, you will always get a sermon. You need the word of God to feed your soul in a way different from communion. So we do it as something special once a month to set it apart that we can, we can think about it and prepare ourselves for it and do it. Um, that's one reason for it so that we, can, we keep the purpose and we don't misuse it. Verse 22 is a powerful warning against misusing the things of God. It says, if he does, puts new wine in old wineskins, the wine will burst the skins. The wine is destroyed and so are the skins. In essence, Think about this. It would be better to do no religious practice than to do them wrongly. To do them if they're empty and they mean nothing, God is not impressed. He often says that in the Old Testament. He said, would you just stop your sacrifices? You said, you mean nothing by them. It's It's hypocritical. He says, I want your hearts. Jesus wants your heart more than anything else. And then everything flows out of that, right? Then communion and fasting and offering and singing songs, it all has meaning. I want to give you a personal and practical application. I'm singing. Do you ever get distracted? I just want to admit publicly, I have a hard time on Sunday morning not getting distracted. I have this thing called a sermon that I'm about to do right when we're singing. And I'm easily distracted. I have to work really. Does anyone else suffer? I know you aren't going to preach, but you still get distracted, don't you? And you're just, you're just saying the words. And there's no connection to what's going on in your heart. 
right? That God's not loving that, right? Just like it's, if you say to someone, I love you, and you mean nothing by it and they know it, they aren't really, they don't feel loved. And so it's important we connect. Here's a pro tip. Here's something I do. There's many ways to solve this problem. One is to, to look at the songs before learn the songs and, and figure out what they mean. Another is read one line ahead. Now, this will use a little more brain power than you're used to, but if you would sing one line and read the next one and, and process, what does that line say? So to, to try that. Try that at the last song. Read a line and say, oh, as I'm singing, it's really hard, if you aren't familiar with the song, to read it, process it, and sing it at that speed and actually mean it. I can't do that. I don't know if you can do that. Now, if you're familiar with the song, you could do that. But if you aren't, just read one line ahead as you're singing it, and you'll have a clue of what you're saying. Does that make sense? But it matters. We need to figure out ways. We try to help every way we could. You heard Brandon explaining. Here's what the confession meant. He read some explanation. We're trying to help. And so work with us in that. We don't want to misuse these great, great gifts. In conclusion, I challenge us all to examine our religious practices to ensure that we understand the truth that's behind them. I challenge you that to understand there is a purpose. There's not only a truth, there's a purpose for them. And then finally, I don't want us to misuse them. And we really could misuse them. Because here's the reality. The reality is God is worthy of our worship. Revelation 4.11 says this, Worthy are you, our God, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you, created all things and by your will. They existed and were created. God is worthy of every one of those things. He's worthy of, of heartfelt worship. He's worthy of heartfelt prayer. He's worthy of heartfelt fasting and tithing and serving and everything, isn't he? And so uh, this isn't a pep talk for every other religion has to give a pep talk for nonsense, right? There's nothing behind the curtain and I'm just trying to, to talk people into pretending. That is not the way it is. The reality is that the reality is much greater than I can even explain or you can even understand. Right? God is so much greater. And so it is worthy that we would pay attention and use these gifts. All those practices have purposes and can be a blessing to you and a joy to God. Let's end the service the way we started it. Psalm 150 verse 6. Let everything, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Brothers and sisters, you have breath. Let us praise the Lord in the many ways he's given us to praise him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we need your help with that. Lord, I pray that you would all give us insight. Thank you for the many things that we can do for our good and your glory to praise you, to delight in you from singing to fasting to tithing to prayer, praying together, praying individually, repentance, communion, baptism. These are all good gifts. But Lord, I pray that you would help us examine them, that we, part of the DNA of our church would be that we would be self-reflective. We would examine ourselves and and mean what we do or don't do it. Lord, we're going to need your help with that. And so we ask you that you would. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.